Now, when I speak to people uh, about God, uh, one of the things that people say to me uh, is that they don't believe in God because they cannot see God with their eyes. Now, of course, it doesn't take long uh, for them to agree that the idea that we must see God, um, as it were, with our naked eyes, uh, doesn't make sense. Uh, that we must see God with our eyes in order to believe in Him uh, doesn't really make sense, does it? Because most of the things we greatly value in life, in fact, even the things we don't value in life, we cannot see with our eyes. The things we value, like love, uh, we, we don't see it with our eyes. The air we breathe, uh, many scientific forces, uh, we, we, we know they're there, but we don't see them with our naked eyes. But even the things we can't see, you can't see COVID, can you? <laughs> right? But you believe in what the scientists are telling you that COVID exists. You've never seen it in the flesh, right? You're not a scientist, but you believe in its existence. Uh, so even some of the things that we don't like, uh, we not know that we don't, have to, we don't have to see them in the flesh for us to believe in their existence. As it turns out, God, for his part, is not at all embarrassed by the fact that he is invisible. John 1, verse 18, which our brother Victor read for us, tells us plainly, doesn't it? No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, people saw God in a sense, didn't they? But they did not see God in his full essence. They saw what are called theophanies, God temporarily taking on human form. No one has ever seen God as he really is in himself. Why is that? Well, for one reason, God is spirit, isn't it? He's not physical like us. He's incorporeal. That's the word the theologians use. But, so we can't see God because he's spirit. But the bigger reason we cannot see God as he really is, is that for us to see God in his glory and understand him fully, we must be God ourselves. God is transcendent. That is to say, he is infinitely above us in every way we can think of. He is limitless in being, limitless in power, wisdom, purity, and love, and many other attributes of God. We cannot rise up to God to see God. We can only know God if he graciously comes down to us and reveals himself to us in the way we can know him. And it has to be a revelation that is set for us to gaze upon his beauty. And power. imagine God is limitless in power. So for us to see him and be, catch a glimpse of his power, he has to do it in a way that is set for us to get, some, to get a sense of his power. That's just one example. And the sensation of good news of Christmas is that God has done that. God has done that. He has willingly come down in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ as one of us so that we can know him. Jesus is the invisible God made visible as we study in the new year when we begin studying the letter of Colossians. John says that, doesn't he, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I want you to take note of the phrase there, um, known, or made him known. The original word for that is exegesato. It is where we get the English word 
exegesis, right? To reveal or exposit something that is hidden. John here is saying the Lord Jesus is God the Son who put on the rags of our human flesh that first Christmas to begin the exegesis of God. To reveal, to explain and interpret the true God to us. And so today I just want to share two truths from this verse, John 1 verse 18. That the, what it teaches us about how the coming of the Lord Jesus, or rather what the coming of the Lord Jesus reveals about God. And I think there are two truths here that John wants us to understand. The first truth is that Christmas reveals, the first truth that Christmas reveals about God is that God is a loving relationship. That's the first truth. The first thing Christmas reveals is that God is a loving relationship. Every person born on earth is younger than their mother, right? That's a, that's a fact, right? Except Jesus. The history of Jesus does not begin inside the womb of the Virgin Mary. No, Jesus has always existed as God the Son. And as he, because he lived, he has always lived in an eternal and perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 18 is telling us. No one has ever seen God, the only God, that is Jesus, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Notice that this verse describes Jesus as the only God. We know it's Jesus is talking about because verse 1 to verse 17 makes that point. And so what it is telling us, first of all, is that Jesus is God the Son. Right? He is at the Father's side. Jesus is God. If you like, Jesus has all the attributes of God. He is eternal, independent, unchanging, self-existent, self-sufficient. He's infinitely powerful, perfect, holy, pure, wise, good, just, and glorious. And yet John here also reveals not just God the Son, he says there's also another person who is God, independent of God the Son, Jesus. Did you see him? That person is God the Father. No one has ever seen God, the only God, that is God the Son, who is where? At the Father's side. So we have here two persons who each are fully God. God the Father and God the Son. And later on, as we read through the book of John, John tells us about another person who is God. God the Holy Spirit. And so, the coming of Jesus is revealing to us that God is a relationship of three persons in one. All three persons are fully God. And yet, only one God. Three persons, one God. And here is the key that John wants us to understand here. Love is the glue that binds these three persons of the Trinity in perfect union. The true God is a relationship bound by love. And you're saying, Chola, where have you got that in this verse? Or look at the verse again. 
John tells us this by a special phrase he uses to describe how Jesus, God the Son, relates to the Father. He says, what does he say? No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The key phrase there is at the Father's side. The phrase literally means close to the heart of the Father, in some of the versions you may have, or in the intimate presence of the Father. Or some of the other versions might say, in the bosom of the Father. In other words, John is saying, God the Son, Jesus, is one in love and will with the Father. If you like, Jesus constantly swims in the eternal flowing river of love from God the Father. As a member of the Trinity, Jesus lives in a union that oozes out perfect and Divine love that never ends. Always giving love and always receiving it. Our our minds cannot even begin to imagine what it must be like for each person of the Trinity to bask in pure, unreserved, unconditional and infinite love. We don't know infinite love. And yet the Trinity enjoys this infinite love. God is a loving relationship. That's what John first of all wants us to understand. This is the first thing that the coming of Jesus, God the Son, that Christmas reveals to us. God is a loving relationship. On Christmas we see God the Son, our Lord Jesus, if you like, willingly putting on the dirty rags, as I said, of human flesh without stopping being God. He has to his divine nature, our humanity. And as he lived on earth, he revealed to us his love of the Father. And his love of the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Holy Spirit's love for the Lord Jesus is also revealed. You just need to take time perhaps today to read through the Gospel of John. And you see that. So God is a loving relationship. So what difference does it make to know God is a loving relationship? Well, I think, first of all, it gives us, the main thing I want you to understand today is that it gives us a proper understanding of who God is and why God does things. You may have many questions about God. Who is he? Why does he do certain things? What is going on in my life? Well, the Bible's answer is that God is love. Because It is a relationship of love. This means everything, and I mean everything that God does in your life, He does it motivated by His love. God created us as an outflow of His love. He created us not because He was looking for love, He already had it in Himself. He created us to share in His love. God hates your sin, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Because everything God does is motivated by his love for us. God has come down to us in Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, to serve us because he loves us. God is allowing suffering in your life because he loves you. It is hard for us to believe this, but it is true. Because God is a loving relationship. 
And we should be clear that God sends people to hell who reject him because he loves them, first and foremost. He cannot stand sin in their lives. And above all, God sends them to hell because he loves his son. They have rejected the son who is in his bosom, as it were, close to his heart. And therefore, if God is going to love the son, he must punish those who reject him. That's why we know that hell is real. Because if hell isn't real, then God hates his son. But hell is real because God loves his son. God is love. And we're seeing here that God is a loving relationship. This is the first truth that the coming of Jesus, that first Christmas, reveals to us. The second truth and final truth is that God is sharing his loving life, if you like, with us in Jesus. Jesus has come to share this love of God with us. Notice here, John has told us that God is beyond our grasp, isn't it? No one has ever seen God. And one of the reasons, another reason why God is beyond our grasp is because our, our darkness hides him. Our sin hides God from us. See, God is like the sun, you see. If the sun stopped shining, it would no longer be the sun. In the same way, God would not be God if he had any sin in him. And just as day and night cannot happen at the same time, the most holy God cannot live with morally impure people. He can't live with sinners. And because God cannot live with us, we cannot enjoy the full riches of his love. See, God wants to share his love with us, but our sin is getting in the way. And so instead of sharing this amazing love of the Trinity, all human beings are now by default added to eternal punishment in hell when we die. But the sensational good news of John 1 verse 18 is that the hand of God, the hand of our Father God, if you like, beats love for us. God is not cheering sinners onto hell, as it were. God is not content that creatures he has fashioned in his image are now rebels against him. No. God wants us to be with him. And so what has he done? God has reached deep within his being and he has, as if it were, plucked out his own loving heart and sent it to us in Jesus. That's what John is getting at here in verse 18 of chapter one. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, the, the very heart of God, the very loving heart of God, he, that is Jesus, has made him known. In other words, you see, Jesus is the love of God made flesh. He is the very bosom of the Father coming down to us that first Christmas, wrapped in our fragile and finite Human flesh. And John later on expands on this point, doesn't it? In John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
who is at the Father's side. He gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That famous verse and the verse we are looking at, John 1 verse 18, uh, is teaching us the same wonderful truth, isn't it? Jesus is God the Son himself coming as an eternal bouquet, right? That's the word. Eternal bouquet of love from God to us. He has come, you see, Jesus. If we think of God as a triangle, so to speak, right? That Trinitarian relationship. Jesus has come, as it were, to expand the triangle and to draw us to the center of that Trinitarian triangle of love. He has come to share the very love of God with us. And the Bible here is telling us that the love of Jesus began that, if you like, the love, the sharing of this love of Jesus with us began that first Christmas. God has always loved us from eternity past, if we are his children. But we see that love now being shared in a physical sense even, when Jesus puts on our humanity. Now if our PM tomorrow abandons life in number 10 with Carrie and uh, the number of kids he's got now, if he abandons that and he comes to live in Bexley If then we would know something strange is happening. We would know that the forces of the Great Reset have certainly got to him. We would be worried. We would say, oh, something strange. Big farmer, perhaps, they are coercing him to come and live in number 10. And come and live in Bexley Heath rather than live in number 10. The powerful people of this evil age only live for themselves. They grab political power to get away from people, not to identify with them. We don't expect powerful people to come down to our level. But what a sharp contrast our Lord Jesus Christ is. He's the very God of very God. And yet our Lord Jesus descends an infinite distance to be with us in our sinful state. The creator God now stands alongside fallen creatures in Jesus. And yet our God, as it were, the infinite, isn't it? The infinite God willingly chooses to put on our finitude. The eternal God takes on the temporal. He becomes a man like us. What greater love is there than what God has done in bridging this infinite gap between us and him? God lovingly, that first Christmas, moving into your neighborhood. Dare I say, moving into your flat to live with you, walk in your shoes in the person of Jesus. And yet as we read the Bible, we realize that the story of God sharing his love with us does not end at the incarnation. The baby, who is the very heart of God, grew, didn't he? And he lived a perfect life. You know, in most marriages, there's a period of courtship when the couples prove their loyalty to one another. But when we look at us and the Lord Jesus, the, the, the proving of faithfulness was one-sided. Jesus proved his loving commitment to us by succeeding where Adam felt. Our Lord endured suffering. Temptation out of love for us. You see, when we look at the CV of every human being, there's only one word written on that CV. It says, sinner. 
But when we look at the CV of our Lord Jesus Christ, only one word is there. Perfect. Jesus lived a perfect life for us. And the good news of the gospel is our Lord took that perfect life, that perfect CV to the cross, where he swapped it with your sinful CV. His perfect record for your sinful record against God. You see, because of our sin, we are under the eternal punishment of God. But God, out of his love for us, has reached down to us in our sin to bear our punishment. God the Son went to that cross to pay the penalty we deserved. The penalty I deserved. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, the Father put on him all my sin. All your sin. Right there on the cross, Christ suffered the wrath and punishment from God. We deserve to suffer eternally for our sin against God. He died in our place. Reconciling us to God. He gave us this now, this portion, this inheritance, as Paul puts it. This inheritance in the love of God. Beloved, is there a greater proof of how God has shared his love with us in the coming of Jesus than the wondrous cross? No. The precious death of Jesus on the cross for us was like the sun shining on the garbage dump. Because we are the garbage dump. There is nothing lovely about us. And yet our Lord Jesus, the son of righteousness, entered our dark world that first Christmas. Not to trickle down love, but it was a torrent of love. And a hurricane of love he unleashed on the cross for us through his death. And the Bible says it doesn't end there, does it? Because it says three days later, the Father showed that he had accepted the death of Jesus for our sin by raising Christ from the dead for our benefit. The resurrection of Jesus is not only God approving of the work of his son, it is God lovingly welcoming dead souls into his family. Because when Christ rose, you see, we arose with him. And all who trust in Jesus are now alive with Jesus. And that means that even when we die, as we heard this morning, our brother Derek Moon attempts me dying. Even when we die, absent in body, yet present with Christ. When our loved ones have died this past year, we know absent in body, present with Christ. And we know that when Christ comes, we shall rise from the dead physically and live with him forever. And yet even that... The resurrection of Christ is not the end. When he rose, he ascended into heaven. And the Bible tells us our Lord Jesus is sitting on the throne of God. You know, when a football team 
plays the league, right? And he wins the league. He gets up to that podium, doesn't he? They celebrate. Some of them get on the bus, right? They, they, they go around the city, right? But they, only, they can only do that for one season. Jesus is reigning forever. The ascension of Jesus, the God-man, means for the first time, a human being is now, for the first time, listen to me, for the first time, a human being sits in the chair of the Ancient of Days. The Lord Jesus now sits there, exalted for us. Physically, I should have. For the first time, our skin rubs against the throne of heaven. Dust, as one theologian has put it, dust sits at the right hand of God. If you are trusting in Jesus, God has shared his love with you from the womb of Mary to the glorious throne room of heaven. What a loving God. What a message that Christmas reminds us of. And there is more love to come, isn't there? Because our Lord Jesus is coming again. He's coming to deliver us from this evil present age and to bring us into the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. As we celebrate the first advent today, we must not forget that all of history is marching towards the second advent. I know, beloved, this is why it's so important um, with the fear going on in our society at the moment. With the world become more secularized, has there been a more important time to be reminded of the news of Christmas? No. Because right now we are reminded that we are not waiting for our deaths. We are not even waiting for Corona to disappear. We are waiting for the second coming, the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he appears in glory. It will, of course, be a terrible day for those who do not know him. But for those of us who have longed for his glorious appearance, it will be a day like no other. The Apostle John says, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. 1 John 3 verse 2. Because we shall see him as he is. As God and Savior. And the Apostle Paul says, Christ shall transform these lowly bodies to make us like his body. What does that mean? Well, we shall put on the glorified humanity of Christ. No more sickness. No more death. And a new character like the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall think like Christ. Talk like Christ. Love like Christ. And bask in the glory of God like Christ. And Christ then will do what? Welcome us. Welcome us into the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And we'll live with him forever. No one has ever seen God. We shall see God. The only God who is at the Father's side. We shall be at the Father's side. Basking in his life. And of course we can go on, can't we? But the point surely is clear. You only gave me an hour. The point is clear, right? Christmas reveals 
that God has come to share his love in Jesus. From his incarnation to his second coming, right? That's what we see. Now, Christmas Day, as I conclude, is a time of great joy for many people. And that's a wonderful thing. Because we have a new opportunity today to create new memories with our family, isn't it? For the children, it's an important time. It's a time they will look back and they will reflect and enjoy those Christmases they celebrate. But I know that for many people, it can be overwhelming. I know that wives and mothers today will be stressful, will be very stressed as you try and make everyone happy. I know speaking to countless pastors this, this past few weeks, it's hard. In fact, uh, I was speaking to my dear sister. She was asking me how my Christmas has been. I said, to be honest, I'm, I have to remember to practice what I preach. Not just to get through it, but to delight in it. Because the truth of the matter is that Christmas is hard for many of us, including those that are in ministry. For some here, old wounds may resurface this afternoon at the Christmas table if they haven't already resurfaced. Some here will struggle today to engage with family members who oppose the Lord Jesus. Some, are, some of us live alone and it may feel more lonelier today. Those of us who have lost loved ones will feel their absence more intensely today than any other time. All those wonderful Christmases gone by, you're not able to enjoy today. Some of us are battling physical and emotional health. Those things don't stop just because Christmas has arrived. Even as you celebrate Christmas, some of you will be feeling anxious about your health going forward. And while many people have been busy buying presents, there are some of us feeling even more anxious for our finances. We are barely getting by. As we do the food bank and I speak to people, I've spoken to people that are not looking forward to Christmas because it's just financially hard. And yet, whatever our situation is today, whatever situation you're in, I don't know what your specific situation is in today. Right? Perhaps you don't even you didn't even feel like coming here, but somehow you are here. Well, I think you are here because the Lord Jesus wants to remind you from this passage that today of all days, take this is what I've been preaching myself this morning, dear sister. Today, take your focus away from all other things. Take your focus away from the things that you have. Take your focus away from things that you don't have. Instead, focus it on this truth, the heart of Christmas, revealed in John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The heart of Christmas is that God has made himself known to you in Jesus. Christmas says those two things, doesn't it? It says God is a loving relationship. This means everything, and I mean everything he's doing in your life, and will do today and in the future, is shaped by his love. Beloved, bask in that. Focus on that. Christmas says God has come to share his loving life with you in Jesus. 
And because you trust in Jesus, you have always loved to keep you this Christmas. Focus on his love. Don't look at what you have. Don't look at what you don't have. Focus and rest on the love of God that has come to you as a gift this Christmas. Amen.